The multi-planetary species. Are we going to Mars? That's what this special episode of Ask Science Mike is all about. You've got questions, he's got answers. Even though we may not understand, I'll talk anyway. We've got problems, he won't solve them. But I'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Okay, so we're going to do just like a special episode, Ask Science Mike, because I got a lot of email and tweets, always the tweets, about uh, this Elon Musk SpaceX announcement regarding um, going to Mars and what that would take and and how SpaceX has updated its plans to do so. Uh, so first, let's talk about a couple of things. One... Tuesday, October 3rd, that's tomorrow, and probably when most people hear this episode, is when the paperback copy of Ask Science Mike is available in retail stores everywhere and online. The retail price on the paperback is only 14 bucks, and I've seen it online for as little as $10. I know a lot of the listeners of this program are price sensitive, and so the $24 Hardback book was just out of reach. Well, guess what? 14 bucks is a whole lot cheaper than 24 It also includes an all-new discussion guide for uh, group use. So if you want to read Ask Science Mike with a group of friends or people at your church or whatever, there's a discussion guide built into the book, and it was written by an actual professional, not me. <laughs> uh, so that uh, you can learn more by going to findinggodinthewaves.com. And also, I've got a lot of events coming up. We are just about sold out uh, for the Liturgist Gathering in Boston, which is Friday, October 6th and Saturday, October 7th. So if you've been thinking about it, grab your ticket or you won't get to grab a ticket. Uh, We just added a little more capacity in the Liturgist Gathering for Seattle, October 27th and 28th. But that one looks like it's going to sell out too, so don't wait around grab a ticket. Of course, I'd love to see you October the 11th for an Ask Science Mike Live in London, October 13th for Ask Science Mike Live in Birmingham, England, and uh, or October 17th for Ask Science Mike Live in Edinburgh, Scotland. Of course, I'll be at the Rubicon Conference October 21st. All those are available at AskScienceMike.com. Just click on the Events tab, Okay. So that's our announcements. Now let's talk about this space thing. I want you to imagine for just a moment that we built an elevator, like you have in an office building, only this elevator went up all the way out of Earth's atmosphere. And in fact, more than just going out of our atmosphere, went, went all the way up to where the space station orbits the Earth, that high. And, uh, you know, if you've ever seen footage of someone on the International Space Station, they are weightless when they're on the ISS. So what do you think would happen if you stepped on this elevator, let's call it a space elevator, and you hit the top floor marked with an S for space, and you rode the elevator all the way up, and you're wearing a pressurized suit, so it's not going to be a big deal when there's no oxygen at the top of this elevator. And uh, you get to the top, the doors open up, and you step out. What do you think would happen? I mean, you're all the way up as high 
as the International Space Station. So would you, uh, would you enjoy the weightlessness of space, free from Earth's gravity? Is that what would happen? Um, or would you begin to drop toward the Earth like someone who stepped off a diving board would? So what's the difference? What makes, what makes people on the International Space Station weightless versus feeling the effects of gravity? Well, you'd be surprised to know if you haven't heard this before that gravity is almost as strong up by the International Space Station as it is on the surface of the Earth. So if you built an elevator that went all the way to space and stepped off uh, once the doors open, you'd fall right back down to the surface of our planet. So how in the world do satellites and the International Space Station and the Hubble Space Telescope and all these objects we've put in space stay in orbit? Well, space is not just a matter of going up from the Earth's surface. It's also a matter of gaining orbital velocity. So you've got to be going a bit faster than 17,000 miles per hour to maintain a low Earth orbit. Think about that. That's crazy. <laughs> you need more than 24,000 miles per hour to escape, the, to escape the Earth's gravity well and go to the moon or head to Mars or head somewhere else in the solar system. It's all about orbital velocity. Now, that's kind of counterintuitive to us living on the Earth's surface. But to do orbital mechanics, to orbit something, to travel between celestial bodies, it's a matter of velocity. Gravity is still there in low Earth orbit. Basically, you have to fall sideways. You've got to go fast enough so that your momentum carries you around the Earth's uh, gravity well as opposed to into the Earth's gravity well or the center of that gravity well. And that's really critical when we think about going to Mars because we've got to escape the Earth's gravity well, go faster than 24, really faster than 25,000 miles per hour to leave the Earth's orbit to get out of Earth's gravity well, to have an escape velocity from the Earth's gravity well, but once we get toward Mars, we've got to slow down enough to get caught in its orbit and slow down even more if we want to land on Mars' surface. And then once you're there, well, you've got to figure out how to come back. If you're human, it's not a big deal when we send robots to Mars. It's a one-way ticket. But people don't want to be stranded on a planet with no liquid water and no no atmosphere to breathe and no no plants to eat, no animals to be around, right? Uh, humans want to come back, which means we need enough fuel. And this is a big deal with rockets. And this is all what this announcement from SpaceX is about. How can we get people to Mars? And this event on September 29th is Elon Musk's vision for humanity becoming a multi-planetary species for, for our species to live on more than one planet, which he sees, and many people see, myself included, as an essential development for humanity and ensuring the survival of our species. A second planet makes a wonderful backup for 
Earth. You know, what if Earth got hit by a sufficiently large asteroid to wipe out human life? It'd be nice to have some people on Mars, for example. Now, if you don't know Elon Musk, he founded PayPal and later Tesla and also a company called SpaceX, which is a private company that builds rockets that go to space, which is really cool. Now, there's been companies before that are private that build rockets, but they usually do that under direct government supervision. But what Elon Musk does is he builds rockets that have a, a, a different contractual structure, and he has private clients and government clients to deliver payloads to orbit. He was the first private company, uh, or SpaceX was the first private company to be certified to deliver uh, goods and payloads to the International Space Station. And this is a huge deal. And so the, the, the reason Elon Musk created SpaceX was specifically to get to Mars, not just to do resupply missions for the International Space Station, not to go to the moon, but to go all the way to Mars. And uh, at a conference last year, uh, Elon Musk first introduced something called the Interplanetary Transport System, which was a working name. Its code name was the BFR for the Big Effing Rocket. You can imagine what the F stands for. But when he built or when he unveiled this design, people had a lot of questions. First of all, it was a massive rocket with 42 engines. And a lot of people wondered if that was within our technological engineering capacity to build. People wondered what kind of habitat this Mars colony would use. So he, he showed a rocket ship to get to Mars, but he didn't show what kind of structures and what technology humans would use on Mars when they were there. Uh, the uh, BFR had uh, refueling stations launched into orbit, which makes a lot of sense if you can get your rocket into orbit and then fill it with fuel. You build a, a gas station in space, so that lets you have a lower launch payload. This is a big deal. Um, currently, when we do space travel, we have to carry all the fuel with us to go wherever we're going and get back. So that's crazy. Just imagine driving from New York to Los Angeles in a car, but having to take all your gas with you. You'd have to pull a big trailer full of gas, which would weigh a lot, and you'd have to carry more gas to cover how much the trailer full of gas uh, burns, right? It's extra weight, so we have to do that with rockets. And one thing that the ITS does is let you refuel fuel in orbit um, and lower the overall mass you have to get off the surface of the planet at one time. But a lot of people wonder how feasible that is. And, of course, the question is, who pays for this? Who pays for the rocket? And once the rocket gets to Mars, can we really refuel a rocket on Mars? That's part of Elon Musk's plan is to use ice and on, on the Martian surface to create rocket fuel locally, uh, which saves a lot of mass. You don't have to take your, your fuel both ways. Um, but that's not really helpful if uh, we can't actually make rocket fuel there. It's a big gamble to get there. Uh, imagine getting to Mars with this this fuel refinery and finding out it doesn't work on Mars for one reason or another. That would be a real bummer uh, for those colonists or those explorers. So there's a lot of questions there. And so this September 29th event was about um, 
adding more specificity, um, digging deeper into the idea of how SpaceX could get humanity toward Mars. Now, all of this comes at a critical time for human space travel. Uh, this BFR is meant to solve really significant problems with modern space travel. Pretty much all the current rocket designs the United States and other countries use are designed either to get a significant amount to low Earth orbit or smaller payloads into deep space. We don't have a rocket today, the United States or any other country, that could take humans and the things humans need all the way to Mars. Um, the biggest rocket ever made, the largest rocket ever made, was the Saturn V that was part of the Apollo program that took us to the moon. And we haven't built anything nearly that large or with nearly that much rocket thrust since the Saturn V. Now, there's a project called the Space Launch System, which is a rocket that uses the engines from the space shuttle. Um, but that's going to be really expensive. It's been delayed a lot. Um, it's looking like it could cost billions of dollars per launch. And uh, a lot of people in the space exploration and scientific communities are very skeptical about the space launch system. And so SpaceX has come in and they want to build a rocket even bigger than the Saturn V. And to their credit, it is a really innovative design. Uh, SpaceX wants to consolidate all their existing rockets. One's called the Falcon. Another's called the Falcon Heavy. They have a capsule called Dragon. And they want to roll in all their future development into the BFR platform, this big effing rocket with this spaceship that can seat like 100 people attached to it. And uh, SpaceX reasoning is uh, the BFR would be 100% reusable. And reusing rockets lowers the cost. Imagine how much an airplane ticket would cost if you had to throw out the airplane after every flight. Very few people would buy airplane tickets, right? The cost of airplanes are amortized over the life cycle of the airplane, which means tickets can be more affordable. The same way, if you reuse rockets, going to space costs less. The fuel for a rocket is not the major cost for getting into space. The rocket itself is the major cost. So the BFR would be re reusable, and it would have a really powerful lift capacity. It could take 150 tons into low Earth orbit and potentially could take 100 people to Mars. So this is, this is much, much, much greater carrying capacity than anything else on the drawing board uh, in the world today. This, the space launch system is not going to get anywhere near 100 people at a time into deep space. It's more like four to six, right? So this is a, this is a big jump. Uh, but SpaceX thinks by building the BFR, they could take a lot of satellites into orbit at the same time. They could uh, take significant mass to the moon at one time to help establish a base there and lower the overall cost. They're still using the in-orbit fueling to do that, but now they've reduced the diameter of the BFR and the current plans to a size that would work in their existing facilities and uh, factories where they build rockets. 
and they've cut the engines from 42 to 31. So it's a smaller rocket, but still the biggest rocket humanity has ever built, if it gets made. Um, now, how big is that? Well, right now, it looks like the BFR with its corresponding, I don't even want to call it a capsule, it's, it's, it's much bigger than a capsule, with its corresponding spaceship, um, would have almost the internal volume of the International Space Station, which is uh, nearly the size of a football field. Um, now, that's deceptive. That includes all the solar panels, so it's the size of a series of tubes laid out on a football field, but still, that's significant capacity. <clears throat> and and really, really profound. Uh, the idea, I mean, it, as someone who's followed space travel their whole life, it's difficult for me to envision a spacecraft that could carry 100 people or 30 people and a lot of provisions. Um, but the, the idea is if you build this rocket that's reusable, you start taking a lot more payloads into space, you lower the cost of space travel that way. You bring the moon within to reach because you can get so much mass there at one time that it would be attractive to private companies and to governments to buy space on SpaceX rockets because they'd be the only game in town with this kind of uh, lift capacity. And theoretically, with uh, that low a cost because of the lift capacity and the reusability. And, and out of that, there, there comes some pretty wild ideas. A moon base is one. Um, they also mentioned the idea of 30-minute flights anywhere in the world. So basically, launching people into an orbit, uh, but not an orbit that circles the Earth, uh, a ballistic trajectory out of the atmosphere back down. So you could go from Los Angeles to Beijing in 30 minutes. You could go from you know, New York to Tokyo in 30 minutes. That's wild. Um, and, and they said they thought they might be able to sell tickets that were comparable to economy tickets today. I'm really skeptical of that. I don't think you're going to be able to reuse the rocket platform nearly as often as you can reuse airplanes. I just don't think that's possible. So I don't think you'll ever get the cost that low. Plus, I'm not sure a lot of people would actually take a 30-minute space flight to another point on the Earth's surface. The acceleration is going to be brutal. Uh, astronauts train and train and train for this. And I just don't know that normal people have the fitness level. And, and people then will be weightless for a few moments, which means they get really sick during that time. I mean, I would definitely do it. But I, I think a lot of people would be cautious to take a 30-minute a flight across the planet that involves a short trip into space. Um, and, and Elon Musk thinks that this approach could have uh, the BFR taking cargo to Mars in 2022 and humans on the Martian surface by 2024. I think this is incredibly optimistic. I mean, I think it's, I think it's great. I'd love to see it happen. But I think the timetable is pretty unrealistic. I also think I've heard somewhere before this idea of very high-capacity spacecraft uh, justifying its cost with a very fast launch tempo, and that was the space shuttle. I mean, the space shuttle was incredible, but it was so expensive to operate because it was designed for an unrealistic frequency of usage. And I worry that uh, what SpaceX is doing now 
is repeating that kind of a historic mistake that the space shuttle program made only on a larger scale. I'd love to be wrong about that. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of SpaceX. I love what they're doing for space travel. Uh, I am deeply concerned about the space launch system. Um, but I worry there, there's some pretty pretty rose-colored glasses viewing this whole plan right now. And I'm, I, I know there's smart people at SpaceX doing greater feasibility testing. Um, but I would hate for an all-in on the BFR and taking the focus away from the very successful Falcon platform and the potentially successful Falcon Heavy platform um, to end up being SpaceX, uh, SpaceX's undoing. This, this is a big bet. This is like an all-in bet on a, a wild idea. A hundred people at a time headed towards the Martian surface on the BFR. Okay, thank you, Andrew Galucki, for pre-production, Greg Nordine for production and sound design, my patrons for supporting the program and picking the questions, and Jeb Botterford for the amazing Ask Science Mike theme song. I'd love to see you on the road in the next couple of weeks because uh, I will be out a lot. And if not, I'll just talk to you here in podcast land one week from today. See you later. <laughs>